This morning, we're starting a series called The Unveiling, and um, the unveiling meaning the uncovering or the revealing of God's plan for man in the end times. Have you noticed there's a lot of things going on in the world today? And it just, uh, as you notice, it's just like it's getting, uh, it's picking up speed. It's going quicker and quicker. Um, but as uh, as this stuff happens in the world, how many of you know God has a plan? He's got a plan. He's got a calendar of events that he's planned out since the beginning of time. You know, some people, you know, they look at the news. They look at CNN. They look at Fox News. They read the paper. They look at the, you know, their phones and they see what's going on around the world but they have no clue of what that means. But Scripture tells us that God created the world. He began the world as we know it, as in recorded in Genesis chapter 1. You know, how did all this begin? How did all this come about? Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, God, you would give us ears to hear, that you would stir our hearts today. God, I pray that you would just, um, Lord, just give us the, Lord, the tenacity Lord, the courage, the boldness to live in this day, in this age, in a way that will bring glory and honor to your name. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you for the privilege of being in the house of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, some different opinion, but the Bible says that God created the world. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. God created the beginning of time. He created the world as we know it. Just as God created and began this world as we know it, he also predicts an end of this created world as we know it. Did you know that? Now, if you don't believe Genesis, then you're not going to believe this. But if you believe Genesis, you need to believe this. In Acts, or not Acts, but Matthew chapter 24, which is where you should be, in verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ I will miss, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. These are the words. These are words in red. These are Jesus's words. So between the beginning and the end of time, as we know it, God has predicted a calendar events, a, a timetable that he's prepared for man in this world. Everything that's happening on the globe, it's happening according to God's plan. He is the one that's in control. President Obama is not in control. The House, the Senate, the Republicans, the Democrats, the the leaders of different lands, none of those are in charge. God is in charge. Amen? And so these predicted calendar of events are contained within the Scripture. What God is going to do is contained within the Scripture. And, and, and these predictions that are contained within this book, within the Scriptures, is what is commonly called Bible prophecy. How many of you ever heard of that? Bible prophecy. Maybe you've never heard of that, Bible prophecy. What is Bible prophecy? Well, Bible prophecy is really the revealing or the prediction of certain future events. God has predicted things that are going to happen. God has 
predicted. He's, and, and, and he's, he's already determined and he's unfolding what's going to happen. So listen, you know, some people go and get their cards read or get their palm read or something like that, trying to determine the future. I tell you, your future is written with written within the pages of this book. We know what's going to happen next. We know what's going to happen on the globe. And listen, if somebody ever told you that you're doomed or gloom because of your palm or your cards, I won't tell you right now, God has a different word for you. He's got a future and a hope for you. Don't listen to that below. Amen. The Bible says, test the spirit to see if the spirit is of God. And I'm telling you, there's an antichrist spirit in this world that is operating. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. Amen. What is Bible prophecy? It's God's prediction of certain future events. Although God has a plan and a calendar of events that he's planned since the beginning of time, he wants his people, the church to know what he's up to. He wants, he don't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to have a clue. Amen. And listen, I think that this, this, uh, this, this calendar of events that God has prepared is not something that we are to be afraid of or scared of. We need to be just sitting on the edge of our seat watching this movie that God is producing unfold in the front of us. Because if you're on the right side in the kingdom of God, everything's going to be all right. Amen. The Lord wants us to know what in the world is going on. In Amos 3, 7, look at this verse. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. I want you to look at that verse for a minute. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, what Amos is saying that God is not going to do anything in the world without first letting his servants, the prophets, know what's going on. You know, God has always called prophets. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse uh, 11, says he's called some to be apostles, some pastors and teachers. And one of the gifts that God has called is prophets. A prophet is a seer, one that can see what's happening ahead. God gifts people to be able to do that. Y'all believe that? What is a prophet? A prophet receives and reveals to us the plans of God. As you read the Old Testament, there are minor prophets and there are major prophets. They're contained within the pages of the book. Within the words that they pinned in the Bible is their predictions and what God showed them that's going to happen as we get closer to the end. Remember in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, when everyone uh, began speaking in other tongues. You remember that? And, and some thought that they had been drinking. They, they were drunk from drinking. And, uh, and, and Peter stood up and he cleared up. He cleared it all up. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 15, these people are not drunk, as some of you assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was, listen, predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. See, the outpouring of the spirit on the day of Pentecost that's recorded in Acts chapter 2 was predicted long before by the prophet Joel. Joel saw this, and Peter is quoting the words of Joel, the prophet. Joel said, I see something. In the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. And so when, when, the, when the spirit fell at Pentecost, eh, people didn't know what was going on. And Joel says, no, 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 I know what's going on. Or excuse me, Peter. Peter said, no, 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 I know what's going on. Because Joel said, the spirit is going to be poured out. You see, so they would just recognize what had been prophesied. You know, the Lord also revealed to Daniel what was going to go on 
uh, what God was going to do in the end times. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, then at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack the king of the north. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, chariots, and a vast navy. He will invade various lands and sweep through them like a flood. He will enter the glorious land of Israel, and many nations will fall. But Moab, Edom, and the best part of Ammon will escape. He will conquer many countries, and even Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the gold, silver treasures of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will be his servants. Now, Daniel is seeing something, and he's prophesying what's going to happen. Now, some of these names that we're mentioning, if we gave you the modern name, you would know exactly what we're talking about, because some of those places have changed. But Daniel, he's saying, look, he says, listen, what we just read in the book of Daniel is end-time prediction. God was revealing and predicting to Daniel events that would happen at the end of time. So years, hundreds of years before, Daniel is seeing what's going to happen as this world comes to the end. But he also told Daniel to keep this prophecy a secret until a later time when God would choose to have it unveiled, if you would. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal it up in the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. So Daniel got this vision and God showed him what was going to happen at the end. But he said, listen, don't say anything. Seal it up in the book. Don't share it with anybody until the time of the end. But unlike Daniel, that was encouraged to keep God's prediction a secret. John, on the other hand, remember John was on the Isle of Patmos and he had an experience with God. And God began to show him some things. And, but John was encouraged not to seal up God's prediction, but to reveal or unveil it. And the unveiling is what we have in the book of Revelation. You got that? And so in Revelation 22, 10, then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. So Daniel was to seal it up. John was to reveal it. And so when you read the book of Revelations, some of it makes your hair stand. You're like, man, this seems like, oh my goodness, kind of thing. But it's really, it's really God's prediction of what's going to happen as we continue to live on this earth. So unlike Daniel, God is telling John to reveal or unveil the predictions of the end time events. Now, I believe this concerning God's end time plan. I believe this. As we get closer to the end of time, God will continue to unveil his plan. As we get closer to the end, it's kind of like, you know, whenever you see something from afar, if you've ever been in a boat out in the sea and you're way out there and you look towards land, you can't tell there's land out there. But when you get closer, you start seeing the trees and the, and the brushery and the, and the canals and all that. I think as we get closer to the end, we're going to see it a lot better. Amen. In, uh, in, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse four, so, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret, seal it up, seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there. And knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase. Well, one sign of getting closer to the end is knowledge will increase as we get closer to the end. Not just general knowledge. Like, you know, we know knowledge of science has increased. Knowledge of medicine has increased. Knowledge of technology is crazy. Knowledge is increasing. But I believe it also prophetic knowledge of God's plan his predicted plan for man in this world will increase. I believe we're going to, as we get closer, we, God is going to begin revealing to his church, to his prophets, to those that are gifted and have the ability. We're going to begin to see this thing a lot clearer as we get closer to the end. Now, the important question to ask ourselves is this. Is the Bible's predictions 
of God's future events reliable? Is this a hoax? Is this hocus pocus? Is this like reading your palm? Is this like going to see a psychic? Or is it reliable? Is Bible prophecy reliable? Can we count on the Bible's predictions of end time events that will come to pass? Isaiah 46.10 says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. That's what prophecy is. It's a prediction before it even happens. If I tell you, hey, it's light outside, that's not a prophecy. That's reality. It's light outside. Amen? But, you know, prophecy is telling us something's going to happen before it even happens. Listen, everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Do you all believe that this morning? Do you believe that what God said he's going to do, he's going to do? Listen, you know, in this room today, we've been secularized. We've been humanized. We've got philosophies from professors and doctors and all this stuff. And we've, we've, we've been bombarded by atheistic and agnostic and, and, and humanistic and all these different philosophies and stuff. And so even as Christians, we look at the future and we look at what's happening and, and we got a skewed view and we, we're, we're kind of like not sure. Is God on the scene or is he not? Is he in charge or is he not? Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? God is on the scene. He's large and he is in charge. Amen. And listen, every prophet, um, I mean, every atheist, every, every professor, every philosopher, all these people will find out that God is in charge. Amen. And he says there in verse 10, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. And everything I plan will come to pass. Now, the, re- the reliability of the Bible prophecy is its past history. How do we know? How do we know Bible prophecy is reliable? Because of its past history. In Deuteronomy eighteen twenty one, it says, but you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That's, that makes sense, doesn't it? The prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So he said, listen, this is how you're going to know if you've got a prophet in front of you. If they prophesy something and it happens, that's a prophet there. Amen? And so, you know, the, re- the reliability of Bible prophecy is supported by fulfillment of past prophecy. Consider the past prophetic predictions. Remember, 400 years before Jesus was born, this prophet Isaiah predicted the virgin birth of Jesus. In Isaiah seven thirteen. and Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is Isaiah saying this hundreds of years, over 400 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. So 400 years later, God's prediction comes to pass. If you read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before marriage took place, while she was still a virgin... She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within you was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred, listen, all of this occurred 
to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter seven, Matthew chapter one is the prophecy and the prediction that is fulfilled. And there's listen, Matthew one is the fulfillment of that prediction. But consider another prophetic prediction. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus ever died, he before he was crucified, the prophet Isaiah predicted his death in details. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Now, hundreds of years before it actually happened, again, Isaiah predicted that Jesus would be pierced and that he would be scourged. You see, what you have here is Isaiah predicting what actually came to pass. The Bible records over 300 prophecies of Jesus' life, uh, that have, uh, his life, his death, that have come to pass. Uh, predictions of, of his life, his, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all kinds of details of the life of Jesus. As you read the book of Isaiah, the, the Old Testament, you're just reading along and you might not ever see it, but contained in those scriptures is the prophet saying, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this is going to happen. And so when it was fulfilled and recorded in the New Testament, those guys were long gone. But here it happens just as they predicted. My friends, this book is not a normal book. It's not a fictional fictional novel. It's God's plan for man. It's God's plan for the future. Amen. Are y'all with me? Hey, listen, it's a holy book because it's God and it's God's plan. So the point is the fulfillment of past prophecy proves the reliability of Bible prophecy. But not only past prophecy, the fulfillment of modern day prophecy also supports the reliability of biblical accuracy. You know, if it was just what we read in the Bible, then we would say, well, that was, you know, that was back there. We don't even know if that really came to pass. But an example of modern day prophecy began being fulfilled in the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948. You remember, because of Israel's idolatry, turning away from the Lord, Jerusalem fell into the hands of the Romans, and the Israelites were scattered all over the globe into the four corners of the earth, like chaff driven by wind. The Israelites were scattered everywhere. They were a nation, but they got scattered everywhere. And because of the Jews were scattered throughout the world, they ceased to become a nation. They were no longer a nation. Deuteronomy 4, 26 says, Today I called on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time. Then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few of you will survive. Do you know we have Jews right here in Lafayette? We have Jews in New York City. We have Jews throughout the United States. We have Jews throughout the world. You know what that is? That's a fulfillment of prophecy of Deuteronomy 4 that the Lord said, I will scatter the Jews throughout the world if they rebel against me. That's what happened. So although Israel was scattered and ceased to be a nation, God prophesied and predicted that through the prophet Ezekiel that one day Israel would become a nation again. In Ezekiel 36, 22, Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. 
I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all of the nations and bring you home again to your land. In fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy that the nation would come back together on May 14th, 1948, President Harry Truman and the United Nations officially recognized the birth of the modern day nation of Israel, just as we know it today. See, history records that, but all we see is the historical recording. But unless you know the Bible, you don't know. That's fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Within hours of the announcement that Israel would be a nation again, seven Ara- Arab armies advanced towards the infant nation of Israel to abort the plan of becoming a nation, announcing that the Jews would be thrown into the sea. And just as ancient Israel had to deal with the seven nations living around them in Joshua's time, a war of independence was waged against Israel, but Israel survived against all odds, allowing Israel to once again become an independent nation. 740 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? And the answer is, yes, it has. The nation of Israel was reborn as a a nation in one day. And this is a modern day fulfillment of biblical prophecy that you can read about in world history. But the Bible already predicted it before it actually happened. Now listen what Rabbi said, Rabbi ben Yehamin Elon. He wrote this. I believe that if you do not know how to read the Bible, you cannot understand the daily newspaper. If you do not know the Bible story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you cannot possibly understand the miracle of the modern state of Israel. Are y'all catching this? Are you tracking along? Another example of modern day prophecy that was fulfilled is Isaiah prophesying that the water would be breaking forth in the Arabat desert, allowing for irrigation and for harvesting. For hundreds of years, a section of the Jordan Valley, if you look at the map, a section of the Jordan Valley, which is between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. That this area was a deserted, barren area of land where nothing grew. Nothing could be harvested. And it was considered to be a useless piece of property, useless for anything. But Isaiah prophesied that this area of land that could not grow anything would be healed and begin to blossom producing incredible amounts of fruit. This is the prophecy, Isaiah 35, 1. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Verse 6, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool, and thirsty ground springs of water. You know, what happened about in the late 70s is all of a sudden this area started getting watered. And and I have a picture here. Um, I don't know. This is is the Arabah for hundreds of years. As you can tell, 
Nothing green, nothing grow in there. But I want you to see what it is, what it looks like now. This is what it looks like now. These are greenhouses. These are fields. This is the same area. What a contrast, right? Now, who would ever thought that that first picture would ever come this? But, you know, they believe that this this area now that was once desert and, and nothing grew, it is estimated that 90% of either Europe or, or the Western world's fruit is now being grown in this area that's been healed as God predicted and promised that it would. A 2,600-year-old prophecy being fulfilled again, bringing credibility to Bible prophecy. Are y'all tracking with me? I'm getting stoked right now. How about you? Amen. So here's another example of modern day prophecy being fulfilled. So unless you really study prophecy and you just watch what's going on, you would never catch this watching CNN news. And I promise you, CNN news will probably not tell you about this. Amen. Another example of modern day prophecy being fulfilled is Ezekiel prophesying that the Dead Sea would be healed. Let me let me just take a moment to give props to Pastor Kelly. Pastor Kelly's got a load of books. He is a, an end times prophecy uh, junkie. He reads and he studies. And so I got our resident theologian to help me out with this. Thank you, Pastor Kelly, for the help. But listen, the Dead Sea, how many of you are familiar with the Dead Sea? Okay, listen, the Dead Sea, for those of you that are not, it's a body of water which has no flow of water in it. It's got a, uh, uh, excuse me, no outlet, an inlet, but no outlet. And because of that, water's become very uh, salty, saline, and nothing grows there. No life has been able to grow in there. Thus, the name, the Dead Sea. But recently, like listen, as recently as March 14th, 2014, the Negev River, which had dried up for hundreds of years, reformed because of a tremendous amount of rain that began falling in that region. And it's starting to provide fresh water into the Dead Sea, which will cause it to be refreshed, transformed, and healed, fulfilling Ezekiel's, Ezekiel's prophets. Prophecy. Look in Ezekiel 47, 8. Then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things whenever the waters of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever the water flows. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to see this very well, but here's a video that somebody captured on March 14th in 2014, where they had this tremendous rainfall, and all of a sudden this water comes rushing down the Negev. Let's see if we can get it. Get <laughs> back! 
Dead Sea. This water is going in to the Dead Sea. So for the first time in hundreds of years, you have the Negev River that is reformed that is now bringing fresh water into the Dead Sea. Wow. So they're calling this event an Israeli desert natural wonder. Again, another biblical prophecy being fulfilled in modern day times. You see, all these things that God has predicted, you know, I've never taken the time to study all this out. But there are some people that they spend their time just studying it out because they believe that God's word is true. And that if God said it, he's going to do it. And so they look to understand what God predicted and what it's coming to pass and, and how it's coming to pass. And these are just some of the prophecies that are being fulfilled as we, as we spend this time together today. Now, what's the point of telling you all this? The point is this. These modern day prophecies being fulfilled is proof that biblical prophecy is totally reliable. Just like Isaiah prophesied the virgin birth, it came to pass. Just like he prophesied the crucifixion and it came to pass. Just as Isaiah prophesied that that, era, that desert would be healed and there would be fruit there, it's happened to pass. Just as the Dead Sea is getting healed, it's Bible prophecy coming to pass. The point is, is that we can trust God's prophecy. Amen. We can trust his prediction. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied has come to truth. And now I will prophesy again, and I will tell you the future before it happens. So the Lord says, everything I prophesied has come to pass. And by the way, can we trust God to tell us what's going to happen futuristically? Yes. Does the Bible prophesy, predict, and predict future world events? Yes, he does. Isaiah 42, 9 says, everything I prophesied has come true. And now I will prophesy again. And I will tell you the future before it happens. I will tell you the future before it has. So yes, biblical prophecy does predict future world events. God promises that he will tell us what's going on before it happens. The Lord wants to give us, a, give us a heads up, if you will. He wants to give us a heads up about what is to come. How many of you are glad about that? Amen. How many of you don't want to know? How many of you want to put your hands over ears and say, you know, la, 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 la. No, I don't want to hear all that. But listen, whether you put your hands over ears or not, it's going to happen. Amen. It's going to happen. Listen what Matthew 24 in verse 1 says, And Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, the disciples ask three questions here. First, they ask, when will the temple be destroyed? Referring to the comment that Jesus made about the temple, uh, one stone won't be left on top of the other, as he pointed to the temple. So they want to know, when's this going to happen? The second question was, what will be the sign of your coming? Coming in the Greek means the return of your presence. So the disciples were asking, when are you coming back to rule and reign on the earth like you predicted you would? They were referring to the prophecies 
made concerning the second coming of Christ. Jesus himself, in John 14, Jesus himself prophesied his coming. In John 14, you remember this, in verse 1, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus said, I will come back. That's what he predicted. This is a prophetic claim made by Jesus concerning his second coming. I will come back. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is coming again. Don't be afraid of that. That's the reality. That's God's plan. And he will come back visibly and physically in glory. Amen. He came in. He came in on a donkey, but he's coming back on a white horse. Amen. And so listen, what will, the third question was, what will be the sign of the end of the age? That was the third question. The end of the age doesn't mean the end of the physical world or the earth. The end of the age means when you will come back, when will you come back and take over the world, take charge? The disciples were asking, hey, Jesus, when are you coming back to take over this world and rule and reign? It looks like Satan's in control right now. When are you going to come back and take it over? Amen. And in the rest of chapter 24, Jesus answers their question and he gives them several signs of the times that his second coming and the end of the age is near. He said, look, look at this. And this is this will give you an idea. And so Jesus lists seven signs that the end of the age is near. And he lists them in chapter 24. We're not going to read it all for the sake of time, but I encourage you to go back and read chapter 24. But he said there will be increased spiritual deception. People would say, I'm the Christ, and people would fall for that. There would be increased wars. There would be increased natural disasters. There would be increased Christian persecution. There would be a falling away of Christians. Violence, crime, and immorality would increase. Does this sound, does this sound like our culture today? And finally, spiritual revival would take place. Jesus lists that right there in Matthew 24. And he said, listen, this is going to be the sign that we're getting close to the end when all of this happens. So listen, saints, can we stop violence from increasing? Can we stop there being wars? No. Can we stop spiritual deception? It's part of what's going to happen. But what I want you to see is that there will be a falling away of Christians. And that spiritual deception would abound. But I want you to be encouraged with that, with the fact that there will be spiritual revival on our land. Amen. Now, that's the fine lining in this whole thing, right? How many of you are Christians? How many of you are believers? Hey, you're on the right side. Amen. You are where you need to be. Amen. So now, why why is all this? The Lord wants us to know what to look for before the end of the age. He wants us to discern the times. Now, two reasons Jesus warned us of what it what is to come futuristically. Two reasons. Number one, first reason is so we can be informed and understand why the world is getting crazier and crazier. How many of you wondered, did you hear about what happened in Oklahoma? Did you hear about that? Did you hear what happened in Japan this weekend? There's another volcano that erupted. There's things happening on our globe. It seems like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? 
Some of you haven't heard about it. And I'm, I'm just, I hate to even say it, but what's been happening by, by ISIS over there has happened on our land here. Google it, check it out. I don't want to even give it the credit. Well, listen, Luke chapter 12, verse 54, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher, and it is so. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. You know what Jesus is saying? Listen, man, whenever you see these dark clouds and it gets cool and you say, whoo, we're about to get a shower, shaft. We discern the weather. We can say, man, it's about to calm down, dude. You better get in the house. And he says, listen, you can interpret the weather. You can also interpret spiritually what's happening. You can interpret. If you know your Bible, if you pay attention to what I say, you will be able to see what in the world's going on and know what in the world's going on. Amen. As the world gets crazier, We're going to know why it's getting crazier. The Lord wants us to have spiritual discernment and know what times we're living in. Are y'all hearing me? Are y'all getting this? Listen, let me just stop to say the reason why I want to take the time to talk about this, because I think it fortifies your faith. I think it strengthens your faith. Because you got something to live for. Sometimes, you know, you can be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for your ship to come in and the ship doesn't come in, the ship doesn't come in. So you finally get up and you leave the harbor because you think the ship hasn't come in. And just when you leave the harbor, the ship might come in. And as a Christian, we hear the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. And you wait and you wait and you wait and you say, man, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. I think I'm going back to the world. Don't go back to the world. Because the ship might come in while you're going back to the world. And you might lose your, your, your ticket. Amen. Come on, are y'all hearing me out here? I believe it fortifies your faith. It strengthens your faith. The second reason Jesus warns us of what is what to come futuristically is so we can be equipped and, for, and be prepared for what's coming. Listen, I can take just so much news, and then I, I, need, a, I need a therapist. Listen, some of you might be depressed. Quit watching the news. And you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to get newfound joy. Because they got a lot of stuff, stuff out there to be down on. Amen. But listen, the Lord wants us to be prepared for what's coming. Not in a sense of, oh, oh no, we're doomed. No, it's the church doomed. It's the body of Christ doomed. No, of course not. Matthew 24, 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. So knowing the signs of the times help us be prepared for whatever happens next. Knowing the signs of the times help us helps us be prepared and ready for his coming. He said, I'm coming back. When is that going to be? I'm not sure. I'm not sure when that's going to be. But I sure want to be ready. You know, I don't want to get caught at the ship and I don't have my ticket. And I got to try to take Mark's ticket away from him and he don't let me have it. And he gets on the ship and I'm I'm a sunken ship. Amen. So we got to get ready. Matthew 24, 44 says, you also must be ready 
All the time. How much of the time? For the Son of Man will come when least expected. When least expected. You know, it could happen Super Bowl weekend. It could happen when you're getting ready to go out. It could happen when we're in church. It could happen on Monday morning. You just never know when it's going to happen. But it's going to happen. Why? Jesus said, I'm coming back. Jesus says you must be ready all the time because you don't know when he's coming. And it's going to be when we least expect it. So while we wait, look at the trees. You look at the trees and you know that spring is here when the fig tree starts blossoming. You look at the times and you see all this thing. Listen, don't stop living. Don't go find you a cave to crawl into. Keep doing what you're doing. And do the purpose of God. Fulfill the purpose of God. But while you're doing that, be ready. Keep your shoes on, spiritually speaking. You know, like my sister-in-law just had a baby. And Mr. Aaron and Miss Louise were waiting for the call. They live in Baton Rouge. As soon as the call came, they were ready to go to Baton Rouge because they wanted to be there when that little blessing came. So Mr. Aaron, he said, man, he said, I, you know, I was trying to sleep with my jeans on. He said, that ain't a good way to sleep, you know. He was trying to be ready. You know, listen, they were, Miss Louise had her shoes on, I think. She was on the recliner. Her hair was done. She was ready to go. And the little blessing did come. Everything is fine. But the point was they were ready. They were ready for the phone call because they didn't want to miss it. The baby was coming. Their grandbaby was coming. Amen. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's the question. Are we ready, saints? Are we ready, church? Are you ready to meet your maker? Because listen, we don't know if it's going to happen this year, next year, 10 years, 20 years. We really don't know. But the reality is we're all just one breath away from meeting him. We might not get a chance to wait for him to come. We might go meet him before he comes. But nevertheless, there's going to be a a sit down. There's going to be a come to Jesus meeting. And we're going to have to give an account. We're going to have to answer for our life. We're going to have to, we're going to have to give an account for the way we lived our life. And the question is, Are we ready? Jesus said you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will become when you least expect it. Now, how do you get ready? You get ready by just staying right with God, right? Just staying right with God. You know, listen, you know, spiritually speaking, we're all born with sin, right? And, you know, we might have been baptized in a young age into this church or that church, this denomination, that denomination. But... Coming from that kind of background, I'm telling you, man, I was one of, uh, I was a heathen. I was a baptized heathen that was given glory to the devil and not Jesus for many years. But you know what? I had an experience with God and realized my need for a savior and I became a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody become a Christian? 
You were lost and you became a Christian. But you know what I found out that even though you become a Christian, man, that world can pull. That world can pull. You know, the children of Israel, whenever they were ready to leave Egypt, you know, Pharaoh said, look, you can leave Egypt, but leave, leave your children here. Leave your stuff here. Just go out there, worship, come back. Leave your money here. Leave. He tried to compromise with them. And Satan's like that. He'll try to compromise with you. He'll try to get you to compromise. Oh, you can still be a Christian and do X, Y, Z. You can still be a Christian and do DCF. He'll try to compromise with you. Come on, come on, come on. Just throw up a prayer every once in a while. But look, man, don't, don't let this Christianity thing mess up your life. And the world will pull and Satan will pull and try to keep you from getting ready. But can I encourage you to get ready today so that whether you breathe your last or whether he comes back, it's going to be all right. Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. You know, just looking at all this, man, I'll tell you what, it sure makes me glad to be a Christian. How about you? Are you glad to be a Christian? There's about 10 people glad to be a Christian. Maybe I should try that question in French. But but doesn't that make you feel good? Oh, man, thank you, Jesus, that you're in charge. That I don't have to get so depressed about everything I hear. That you know what's going on. Amen. Come on, let's, would you just bow your head in prayer with me for just a moment? If you're here today and you say, Todd, I'm not ready. I'm not ready, but I want to be ready. I want to get my heart right. I want to get my life straight. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Just lift it up real quick. And I want to pray for you right where you are. Over here. Anybody else? Raise it, raise it high. Raise it high. Listen, if you can't stand up for Jesus in this room, you'll never do it out there. Come on. Come on. How many of you right now say, God, I need to get ready. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just lift up your hand. We can all pray this prayer. How many of you want to be ready for his return? Let's pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me so that I could be saved, so that I could be born again so that I can be right and I can be ready. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned, but I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse my heart of all sin. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. Fill me with your power, with your spirit. Give me the strength, Lord, to live for you. Thank you, God for accepting me into your family this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Elijah, would you do me a favor and just slip out of here real quick? This is Pastor Elijah. Those of you that raised your hands, would you come tell Pastor Elijah that you prayed that prayer? We got a gift for you and want to get you, help you get started on this journey. Well, how many of you glad? How many of you glad? To be in church today. I'm going to be glad to be saved today. So let's go out there and let our light shine and influence everybody we can around us. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. May the Lord's blessing be over you as you go.